Well, <clears throat> that was weak. Ah, there you go. There you go. That's stronger. That's stronger. That's stronger. I, I want to say something before. My name is Ed Griffin-Hagen, by the way. I'm one of the pastors on our staff at Church on the Trail. And again, um, James welcomed everybody here. And Tripp on the video welcomed everybody here. And Norman welcomed everybody. I want to do it as well. I'm super thankful that you're here. Lots of places that you could be on Sunday morning. And uh, God's got us here for a reason. In his providence, he's got us together, whether you're physically here or watching online. I, I do want to say we this song that we sang just a few minutes ago, A Thousand Hallelujahs, you know, I, I feel like, and I get convicted of this, that particularly in America maybe, that A Thousand Hallelujahs is reserved for Sunday mornings from sometime between 10 and noon that's the sort of the, the, the time of the week where people give themselves to the Lord. And then they check that box and then go on about their week until the next Sunday to check that box again. But we should be praising him. We should be dumping, heaping glory on him and honor because he deserves that 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And so it's a thousand hallelujahs on Sunday and Monday, and Tuesday, and Wednesday, and Thursday, and Friday, and it just keeps on going. And I just really, I want to encourage y'all to think about that as, as you go home from here today, and as you start your week, if it's at work or school or whatever it is, you should have, and I should have, that mindset all the time. I ought to wake up and be screaming out a thousand hallelujahs, and be doing it all the way until I go to bed that night. I will give us a challenge. Count this week. Starting after church today, see if you can get to a thousand times between now and next Sunday. What can you praise him for, honor him for, bring him glory for, but see if you can do it, if I can do it, and if y'all can do it a thousand times between now and next. And I don't know if I can count to a thousand. I'm going to get one of those little clicker things, but, but I want to try to do that. I want to keep us, keep our hearts and our minds and everything that is, that we're about focused on him and bringing him the praise and him the honors. Does that sound okay? All right, let's try to do that. So y'all, there's, there's a lot of times in life when, when we need what every football team's got, and, that, and that's cheerleaders. And the, job, the job of a cheerleader is what? It's to tell everybody we're going to make it. We're going to make it. Last weekend, not yesterday, but the Saturday before last, when I start, was beginning to think about this, come, this message today, TCU beat Iowa State 62-14. Um, to 14. We call that they skull drug Iowa State. It was 55-7 to 7 at the end of the third quarter, and the cameraman kind of flashed over to, uh, to the, the Iowa State cheerleaders. They were in view in the, in the camera. And now remember, y'all, they're losing 55 to 7, and you'd have thought that they were winning 55 to 7. They're getting slaughtered, and the cheerleaders are over there in, you know, screaming and yelling in, in joy. No matter how bad the scoreboard looks, there's still hope. Cheerleaders cheer all the way to the end of the game, and they're going to act like a team is winning big even when, even when there is seemingly no possible way for victory because their job is to be a cheerleader. Their job is to encourage. When people come in here Sunday mornings, 
they need to run into a bunch of cheerleaders. And I'm afraid that we're not always like that. They come in here in some sort of despair, and they need to meet a bunch of God's cheerleaders, people that are willing to cheer them on and tell them that they're going to make it. And you think about it, we spent the last 20, 25 minutes praising and singing to a God who is the absolute most ultimate, most masterful encourager. So today we're jumping back into the book of Acts. We're going to be in chapter 18, the first 17 or so verses of chapter 18. Let me read that to you, and we're going to talk about encouragement. So after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his uh, wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to, and you know what I want y'all to see as we're talking through this and as I'm reading through scripture, I want you to, to just think about God's sovereignty, how it plays out and how dots connect and how um, sometimes we can be, he's like this masterful this chess master moving things around a chessboard, getting done what he wants to get done. So Aquila and, and Priscilla come from Italy because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them. He, Paul, went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tr uh, tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. And when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia... Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opened, uh, excuse me, when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. And his house, Titius Justus's house, was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. So Paul goes from what we've seen in the last few chapters, really goes from, from Neapolis and Philippi down to Thessalonica, from Thessalonica to Berea, from Berea down, <coughs> excuse me, to Athens, and then from Athens to, he's moving south uh, in Europe. And he, and he gets to Corinth. When he gets to Corinth, he is, he is just worn out. I'm going to say he was worn slap out. He's discouraged, and maybe he's even burned out because he'd gotten a little beat up on the, the crossing, uh, really the whole continent of Asia and then crossing the Aegean Sea and coming from there down south into Athens and then Corinth. He'd been beaten up in even though things went well in Philippi, he got a little beaten up. He got a little beaten up in, in Thessalonica. He got a little beaten up in Berea and Athens. Well, in Athens, he didn't so much get beaten up, but he didn't see a whole lot of fruit when he was in Athens. We'll talk about that a little more in a second. But anyway, he goes from Athens to Corinth, and he's discouraged, and he's weak. But we serve a God, y'all, that is a huge encourager. And it's at that moment, and we see it in Acts 18, that, that God moves in and he encourages the Apostle Paul. He'd been in Athens, which was a, a university-type city, a city of culture and a city of learning and a city of, of 
philosophy and philosophers and a bunch of super, super smart people. And now he gets to Corinth, and Corinth is almost due west of, uh, of Athens. He, gets to, he, he leaves this intellectual center of the world in Athens, and he gets to Sin City. That was Corinth. Corinth, absolutely Sin City. It was probably the most depraved city in the whole world at the time. It was a, 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 a totally immoral cesspool of filth. The word even had become uh, an adjective. If you were to say, old Ed there is a Corinthian type of guy, well, what you would be saying is that old Ed was a completely immoral, unethical dirtbag. If we said that a woman was a Corinthian type of woman, we'd be saying that she was a prostitute because that is what the women did in Corinth. Even Plato, when he's referring to a prostitute, he used the term a Corinthian girl. Everybody just knew that. In that city of Corinth, there was this gigantic uh, hill, mountain sort of thing, and it was called the Acropolis. On top of the Acropolis was a massive temple that was dedicated to the goddess Aphrodite, who was the goddess of sexual activity. In Aphrodite's temple there, up on top of the Acropolis, ministering, there was a thousand priestesses, and I'm using the word ministering in a, in a laughable way, but their particular ministry was the ministry of prostitution. A thousand of them on top of the Acropolis. Every evening, those thousand, quote, priestesses would descend off the Acropolis and go to work in Corinth. And that's the place that the Lord led the Apostle Paul to go. It's in that place that we'll see in a, in a little bit that the Lord is going to choose out some believers in that nasty, filthy place called Corinth. It ain't going to be easy. It's going to be like trying to find a diamond in a septic tank. Like that's what evangelism in Corinth was like. And, and so Paul is going to be finding diamonds in the septic tank. I'll give you a little nugget from today is going to be part one of this message and then we're going to have a part two. And I want to give you a little, we're not going to get there today, but a little nugget from that. Verse 10, the Lord says, Lord, in a vision to the apostle Paul, he says, I have many in this city who are my people. And so he says, I got a bunch of diamonds in the poop and you're going to be the guy that's going to pull them out, find them and pull them out. It's in that cesspool that there's going to be diamonds that are found. Those folks were not saved yet, but they're about to be as Paul comes rolling into town with some Jesus. And the Lord has been and is preparing those people's hearts to hear the gospel right in the middle of the filth in Corinth. And y'all, it is cool when we realize that God doesn't always do a lot with the in intellectuals. He doesn't always do a lot with the, with the intelligentsia, with the smart people, but he sure can do a whole bunch with a big bucket of rotten sinners. Paul wasn't in Athens very long. We don't really know how long, but not very long. But we're going to see that he is in Corinth for, for a year and a half, for a little over 18 months. When he's in Corinth, Paul writes First and Second Thessalonians. When he's in Corinth, he writes Romans, the book of Romans. 
And it's back to the Christians in Corinth that he writes First and Second Corinthians. So this place that God has gotten Paul to becomes this super um, important base of operations for first century Christianity. I said a minute ago that Paul was pretty weary and pretty discouraged, and I want you to think about it. He'd been chased halfway around the world, and everybody is hating on him. He's getting hassled by the Jews. He's getting hassled by the Gentiles. He's getting hassled by the muckety-mucks and the big shots everywhere that he goes. And now he rolls into this city that is just really just disgusting. But I believe way down deep that God has always been concerned with encouraging his people. Several years later, and I want you to, as we walk through this today, I want you to see a lot of these dots connect in, in the different letters that Paul writes, how they work right back into the book of Acts, how they work right back into Acts chapter 18. And we, get, we, can, we can piece these things together almost like a puzzle. And so when he writes several years later, when Paul writes this letter back to Philippi, to the, to the Philippians, he closes it out in verse 19 of chapter 4. And I believe that he's looking back on his life and he, maybe even to these events that are going on in Corinth when he writes this in verse 19. He says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You should believe that God will supply every need of yours. According to what? According to who? According to his, the Lord's riches in his son. Every one of us, y'all, myself absolutely included, walks through different times, different seasons of discouragement. And it's just part of life because you and I have hopes and dreams and desires that don't always come to fruition. We've got hopes and dreams and desires for somebody else. Our hopes and dreams and desires for them they just don't always come to fruition. And we all live with that, and we all live through that, but here comes our God of encouragement. And so Paul is pretty close to rock bottom, and God encourages him, and Luke records that in Acts chapter 18. And I believe that he encourages Paul in three ways. He encourages him with friends, with fruit, and with fellowship. God brings some friends into his life. And this may sound hokey and simple, but y'all, this is what the way God does stuff. He brings some friends in his life, number one. And number two, he, he, God brings some fruit, some converts, some folks getting saved, folks giving their lives to Christ, number two. And number three, God himself comes into fellowship in a, in a greater way with Paul to encourage him. We're going to get to the first two today in the part two of this message. We'll get to, to number three. So first things first, friends. God encourages Paul through godly friendships. Friends, it's the first four and a half verses. Now I want to step out for a second and talk about how this can play out in the life of a, of a body of believers. Connect groups, Bible studies, pickleball, I don't know, whatever it is, uh, um, crafting that was up here the Friday night. Uh, just different things, different ways for us as a body to connect. Well, we're going to jump back. We used to do this, this thing called Rally Days, which was a big flea market out in the hall. And, 
everybody that had a, was going to do a connect group, any kind of group, would have a table out there. It would be like this big flea market with tri-boards and excitement and signing up, people signing up for connect groups. We're jumping back into that, and it's going to be January 15th and January 22nd. And I, wanna, I cannot encourage you all enough. The devil wants you in isolation. And in our country, in the last two or three years, he's done a pretty good job of taking advantage of circumstances and isolating people. It is not good to be isolated. It is good to be connected with folks. It's good to be in relationship, authentic, godly relationship with people. Our, we want, we desire as, as a church, and we, we desire this because this is the way God is, has wired us up, that 100% of the people that call Church on the Trail home, which is a couple of hundred people, be connected somehow in a, in a connect group. Whether whatever it may be, it is good for us to be in, in, in connected with each other. It's good for us to be uh, having fellowship with each other. It's good that we're encouraging each other in connect groups. So I can't emphasize enough to y'all, join a connect group. And then I would say this, you pray through it, and if God is leading you to lead a connect group, call me, call uh, Lonnie Freeman or call Brandon Butler. Brandon is our new discipleship slash student, maybe I should say student pastor slash discipleship pastor. Let us know. There's no greater way. If it's going to be a Bible study, there is no greater way to dig in and learn scripture than by facilitating a connect group. So if it's leading, at a minimum, every one of us should be connected in one of these groups. So, and one of the byproducts is the encouragement that comes out of that. And so Paul is pretty close as we get here. Paul's pretty close to rock bottom. And God encourages him. And Luke records it in Acts chapter 18. You know, Luke wrote the book of Acts. So it's in these three ways, this friends and fruit and fellowship. So look at the first four and a half verses. Paul is discouraged and God drops some folks down into Paul's life for some true authentic companionship. How do I know that he's discouraged? Doesn't really say that in the book of Acts. But we look at all the letters that Paul wrote. When he writes back to the Corinthians, he was reflecting on, and he wrote 1 Corinthians from Ephesus. And so he's reflecting on how he felt when he got there to Corinth. And in 1 Corinthians in chapter 2, he writes, he says, I was with you. He's writing from Ephesus back to Corinth to those people. He says, when I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, which means that when he was there, he was there in weakness and fear and much trembling. And again, he, while he was in Corinth, he wrote back to the folks in Thessalonica. We believe that right here in Acts chapter 18 is when 1 Thessalonians was written. And he says in chapter 3 and verse 7, he says, brothers, and he's talking to the folks in Thessalonica, he says, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. So you see, Paul had gotten word about their strong faith, about the growing faith of the folks in Thessalonica, and it really helped him, and it encouraged him, and it comforted him. So we know that he was from there, from that, and from when he wrote back in 1 Corinthians, we know that he was in distress at the time. Fear, trembling, nervous, distress, affliction, all of that equals discouragement and maybe even despondency and despair. 
And it's at that moment that God says, you need some friends, Brother Paul, and I'm going to provide you with some companionship. What does God do? He drops two folks down into Paul's life that at the end of the day, Paul mentions them over and over throughout his ministry. Verse 2 of chapter 18 says he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his, with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see him. So those two folks, Aquila and Priscilla, those two became two of the, of the most belovedest, most bestest friends of Paul. And the Lord was working in Rome to get them to Corinth. And he used Claudius to do it. And Claudius had no idea he's even been being, being used to do that. And then verse 3 says, And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. So somehow or the other, Paul and, and met Priscilla and Aquila, and he maybe he met them in the synagogue. Scripture doesn't really tell us, but we know they met. And I believe that Priscilla and Aquila were already Christians by this time, and and I don't have time this morning to chase that rabbit down the trail to tell you why I believe they were already Christians, but, but I feel like the entirety of the New Testament tells me that they, that they were. And so Paul meets these, these two and their fellow believers in Christ, and they're in the same trade as he is, and they just hit it off. They just hit it off. Verse 3 tells me that they had the gift of hospitality because it says that he stayed with them. So clearly these, these two had the gift of hospitality. And y'all, it is so cool how, how God brings people into our lives. And, it, and, it, and it's exciting to look back at Scripture and see how God did this with Paul with these two folks that became so beloved to Paul that they held an extremely prominent place in the entire rest of his life. He mentions them in Romans 16, he mentions them in 1 Corinthians 16, he mentions them in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and of course God does something with their friendship because we see a church grow up in their house. So two new friends are made, and then two old friends show up. Verse 5, Timothy and Silas arrived from Macedonia. Remember it was Timothy and Silas and Paul that crossed that Aegean Sea, and they're in Philippi, and Thessalonica and Berea. And it was a great day for Paul when those two showed up. Now, we don't know that necessarily from the book of Acts, but we do from some of Paul's other writings. That si We know this. We know that, and it never mentions here in Acts that, that uh, Silas and Timothy had come to Athens, but it does in some of, their, uh, of his other writings. Silas and Timothy at some point came to Athens while Paul was there, Paul sends Timothy back to Thessalonica, and he sent Silas back to Philippi. But now they both get to Corinth, and Paul is overjoyed. One reason, they brought financial support for Paul. Well, how do I know that? doesn't say it in the book of Acts. No, it doesn't. But we know from Philippians chapter 4, verse 15 says that in the beginning of the gospel, again, this is Paul writing back to Philippi, that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. So the Philippian church sent financial support. And we know from 1 Corinthians 11 that his boys Silas and Timothy delivered it to him in Corinth. In 1, Corinthians, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul's writing back again to that church in Thessalonica. 
and it appears that he's writing back right after Silas and Timothy get to Corinth, and Paul says this. Again, he's, now he's writing back and talking to the folks in Thessalonica. He says, now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. So Timothy comes with some joyful news. What's the good, what's the good news? Of their faith. They're growing strong faith. So Timothy comes with that joyful news, and Silas comes with a love offering. And that love offering allowed Paul to kind of chill on the tent making and completely devote himself to the word, completely devote himself to evangelism, completely devote himself to share in Christ with everybody in this cesspool in Corinth. I want to encourage us today. Two things. First, allow yourself to be used by the Lord to encourage your brothers and sisters in Christ. To recognize, you know, have your antenna up or something. Recognize when people need to be encouraged and then do it. Don't just recognize it and say, oh, they need to be encouraged. And then you do nothing. That's not what Christ followers do. Lock arms with them and encourage them. Number one. Number two is to, to make yourself open to encouragement from your brothers and sisters in Christ. Allow people to speak into your life. Don't act like you never get down and discouraged. Because all of us do. So allow yourself to be encouraged. Because it makes a difference. Like a pat on the back, a hug, an arm around the shoulder, a high five of something. Y'all, encouragement makes a difference. I remember, and it can be life-changing. Y'all, I remember 1996 Olympics, and they were in Atlanta. And there was a gymnast, her name was Carrie Strug. Raise your hand if you remember Carrie Strug. So 1996 Olympics, she's a gymnast, and she had the weight of the, really of the country was on her shoulders because they could secure the U.S. Uh, Olympic gym, gymnastics team, uh, the female gymnastics team. All she had to do was have one reasonably successful vault, and the team gold went to the U.S. But there was a legit problem on her first attempt at the vault. She sprained, severely sprained her ankle. She could barely walk. She fell, and she didn't get the score that she needed. And she's sitting there on the mat with tears rolling down her face, and she cried for two reasons. Number one, it hurt pretty bad, and she's crying because of that. But also, she, she, in that situation, she just kind of knew that she was not going to be able to get the score that, the, that she needed to get for the U.S. team to get the, gold, the team gold medal. So, but she had, another, <clears throat> she had another vault. She gets up. She felt, she says, she felt like giving up. But her coach was standing on the sidelines, and he's screaming at her, you can do it, Carrie, you can do it, you can do it, I believe in you, you can do it. And so she, as she limps up to get ready for, for, for vault number two, she really could barely, barely walk. And she told an interviewer after that vault that all she could do to keep going was to keep her eyes on her coach. He kept her from focusing on the ankle. He kept her from focusing on the pain, and she was for real hurting. She's crying, still crying. If you watch video, she's crying before she takes off on the second vault. But she had an encourager that believed in her. And she found strength from his encouragement. She found strength from his encouragement that she didn't have herself. Even with the limp, right, she takes off running and she flipped over whatever they do on the vaults. But she had to nail the landing in order to get the score that she needed for the goal. 
and she had to land do the, she had to land the landing on this severely sprained ankle. But with her coach's encouragement holding her up, she conquered what was seemingly impossible. And if you remember, she she scored high enough for the U.S. team to get the gold, all because of her coach's encouragement. Y'all, encouragement makes such a difference. People are walking around, and you just don't know, and I just don't, we just don't know what's going on in, in people's lives. And I, I cannot encourage you enough to put your arm around somebody's shoulders and just tell them that, that, that you love them. Tell them that they can do it. Tell them you don't know what's going on in their lives, but just offer some encouragement. So here, the Lord comforts Paul and encourages him through friendships, through godly friendships, through companionship. And then second, and there's huge encouragement in the fruit. In the fruit, I have been discouraged so many times about this or about that. Ministry is tough. And there can be wild emotional swings from somebody saying, man, I really don't like Phil Wickham's music, to, God, we don't play enough of Phil Wickham's music. I just love him. From, you should not have come back from COVID so fast, all the way to, I can't believe we waited so long to come back from COVID. From, we do too much outreach around here and not enough inreach, to, we've really got to get out in the community because we're really not very missions-minded around here. And so, when I hear all that, and I hear it all, sometimes it's to my face, sometimes it's not, but I hear it all. You know, I'm like Susan was with our kids. She heard everything they said, even when they were speaking silently. But what happens is you get up on this mountaintop, and then you get down here in this valley. And then you get up on a mountaintop, and you're encouraged, and you get... So discouragement is real, and ministry is tough. Leadership in a church. And I'm not just talking about being a pastor, just leadership in a church. It's just tough. Leadership in a connect group. It can be tough because you're part of the leadership in a connect group, and I'm encouraging you to do it, but I'm telling you, you're going part of that role is being an encourager for the people in that group and bearing some burden. It's just part of the deal. And it's crazy how God's timing is just so spot on perfect. Always, always perfect. At just the right time, in the midst of a little discouragement, some fruit will bloom. And it may be a raisin or an apple or a grape or a watermelon or a kiwi fruit. I don't know. Different size fruits. But at just the right time, some fruit will bloom. Somebody will get saved. Or you'll hear a story from something you said three years ago to somebody and how that bore fruit and you didn't even know it for three years. It happens. Somebody you shared Jesus with three years ago gets saved, and then how you hear how their life just radically changed. You know, I say sometimes that every now and again God will throw you, he'll throw you a bone, and you get to know what happened. Most often, we don't necessarily get to know what happened. But let me tell you, we had a gentleman in here a while back who had visited, the, was visiting the church, and he since moved away from Columbus. But he came in on a Sunday morning, didn't really know anybody, and he had written a suicide letter the night before and had a plan 
an active plan to kill himself that afternoon. When the, I was done with the message, I got off stage. I do it every Sunday. Go down there, give my wife a hug. On that Sunday, I went down there and I said to her, well, that was the worst message I have ever preached in my life. I said, it was pathetic. I said, I went way too long. The kids' leaders are going to hammer me because it went too long. And I rambled and I rambled and I rambled. And I went down 40 rabbit trails and I was all over the place. Like, I think that I just offended the Holy Spirit with the message that I had just given. Honestly, no joke. Like, I felt terrible about it. And I got a call that night from that man. And he said, can we meet and go eat at Waffle House tomorrow morning? I said, of course we can. So we met at Waffle House. And he told me about the killing himself thing. But that instead he had given his life to Christ. That day. That day. He is made great in our weakness. And the more we understand that, and you, I can't even tell you how, in, like I about did a table dance at the Waffle House, you know, you know, over my scattered and smothered. It was like the, the, it was like the most bestest thing ever. And so God can take what we think is inferior and just do amazing things with it. Since then, God has radically transformed this guy's life. And you see, all the time, God uses in the lives of his servants, not just the companionship of, of great friends, but also the fruit. Somebody will give their life to Jesus and get saved. Look at it in Paul's life here. Verse 7 says that Paul went to the house of a guy named Titius Justice. And Scripture tells us that this guy was a worshiper of God. That means he was a Gentile God-fearer. He wasn't a Jew by birth. It says he's a worshiper of God. He attended the synagogue, but he was a Gentile. And it just so happens, where was his house, if y'all remember? Right next door to the synagogue. So apparently, And apparently this guy, Titius Justice, is the same guy uh, who's named uh, Gaius in Romans chapter 16. <clears throat> and in 1 Corinthians, also in chapter 1, Paul said that, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that he baptized Crispus and Gaius. Often Romans had three names, and so his must have been Gaius Titius Justus. Verse 8 says that Crispus, the ruler of, are y'all tracking with me? Okay. Verse 8 tells us, this is so many dots connecting, y'all. You can't make it up. Verse 8 says that Crispus, who was the ruler of the synagogue, what does it say he did? He believed. He believed. He believed he and his household believed in the Lord. So Titius gets saved, a little fruit, and then there's more fruit. The dang synagogue ruler dude gets saved. They had revival breaking out up in that synagogue. What's the rest of verse 8 say? And many. Does it say a few or one or two? No, it says many. How many is many? I don't know. A bunch. A bunch. Many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. And the Bible names a lot of those folks, not really mostly in other places in Acts, not in Acts 18, but in other places in 1 Corinthians, in Romans, 
It names Stephanus and his household, Fortunatus and Erastus, Cordus, Chloe, Tertius, and a bunch of other folks. Fruit. Fruit. And all this fruit is born from a guy who shows up in Corinth, super discouraged, worn out, arguably burned out, but then God does that thing that God does. And he puts his arm around Paul and he encourages him. He encourages him in a way that just lights Paul up. Let me say this, wrapping, kind of trying to wrap this up. God got Priscilla and Aquila out of Rome. God did that. He didn't need them in Rome anymore. They don't even know they're being pawns on the, on the chessboard. But God gets Priscilla and Aquila out of Rome, gets them into Corinth at just, matter of fact, God got them in the right industry before that. But then he gets them out of Rome, got them to Rome, probably to get saved because they probably got saved in Rome. Gets them out of Rome down into uh, Corinth at the perfect time, and he crosses their path with Paul at the perfect time when Paul needed to be encouraged. And then Silas and Timothy show up. Silas and Timothy, Timothy show up, and that provided his major boost in Paul's sagging sort of spiritual state. Their mere presence was an encouragement. The financial gift that they brought was a major vote of confidence for Paul. Their report of the believers in Thessalonica and what did scripture say about their faith? That it was strong and that it was growing and it was persevering. Well, that warms, Paul's a shepherd, y'all. That warms his heart when he sees that growth. So God uses friends and God uses fruit. And next time we're gonna talk through this third way that God encourages Paul in Corinth. And it was uh, an intimate, in a vision, an intimate time of fellowship with Paul. Let me say this, contrary to, and I touched on this a minute ago, contrary to the wide misconception that pastors just work one morning a week, we actually work more than one morning a week. Christian leaders inside the church and outside the church carry a pretty heavy emotional burden. And I'm talking about leaders of parachurch ministries, leaders of connect groups, people on a pastoral staff, people on, on the, uh, just on the staff in a church, on staff or not, just uh, leaders in general. Carry heavy burdens, for real. And if you as a church, we'll just use the word member, you as a church member, if you're faithful, if you're faithful to grow, if you're faithful to serve, if you're faithful to give, and yes, from time to time, if you're faithful to encourage the leaders, the body will be more fruitful. The body will be more fruitful and, and the result is that the kingdom grows. The kingdom, this is about kingdom growth. When the kingdom grows, an unholy and unrighteous culture becomes a little more holy and a little more righteous and then the kingdom grows. If you just sitting there, if you encourage your brothers and sisters in Christ before church or after church or, or, or right now, if you encourage somebody who, who needs encouragement, the very same thing happens. There will be fruit. The Lord promises fruit. As a matter of fact, abundant fruit is what he promises. 
most of the time, it's with our mouths. Something that we say. For sure a hug, but a hug accompanied with something that we say. It reminds me of something in James, and I think it's James chapter 3. Yeah, this is James, and you know, James is Mr. Mr. Practical, and I'm not talking about that James. I'm talking about this James. Mr. Practical, what does he say? Verse 7 in James chapter 3. Let me back up to verse 6. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, our tongue, our mouths, our words, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of the very guy that we just blessed. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, I want to say this to all of us right now. My brothers, these things ought not be so. You can slice someone to shreds with words that come out of your mouth. You can kill them. You can knock them down and you can kick them upside the head just with the words that come out of your mouth. Y'all, it's so funny. I do a training for M2540 a couple of times a month on Monday afternoons at 5 o'clock for anybody that wants to serve. And it, I've got a training manual that's, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 pages long. And I get to this one, this one spot in the training, and it's a bullet point. As a matter of fact, it's the sixth bullet point on page three. That's weird that I remember that. But, but I do. And it's two words. Kindness matters. Kindness matters. Y'all, it, it does. Because I, I can't, James is so spot on that the same mouth that can that can speak just compassionate, kind words, not lies, truth, but kindness. The same one, and I've seen it in my own sinfulness with my wife. When I, when I would lose my temper or something, and I would say something, you know, when you say something like that to the other person, you're not fast enough to grab the sound waves before they enter their ear and pull them back, right? You don't get to do that. It doesn't work that way. And so I've seen it in my own life, where one day I can be just so kind and compassionate to Susan, and the next day I can say something and look in the mirror that night and say, I cannot believe you said that to her. Kindness matters. Words of encouragement, if you leave out of here and you just, just remember one thing, it's that encouragement makes such a difference, and it, and it clearly it makes a difference in interpersonal relationships, but y'all, it makes a difference for the kingdom. Because when we're nasty to people, when we're discouraging and not encouraging, and there's a lost family, a lost dude over here, think about it. This lost guy sees me speak to her in an unkind way. And he's standing over here, and he said, well, if that's what it's all about, I don't have nothing to do with it. And you know what the scripture would say about him? about him, this person who saw that, it would say, 
and he and his whole household are lost. And they're lost because of some stupid something, mean something that came out of my mouth. So encourage people for the kingdom. Encourage them for the kingdom because the kingdom will grow. Encourage them for them too, obviously. But when we do things like that, the body grows and there is fruit. And then there is mo fruit. And then there's abundantly more fruit. Y'all, that's what we're called as believers to be. And I'm going to say it this last time. Get in a connect group. Lots of encouragement happens with relationships that get born out of a connect group. Fruit is born out of connections that happen in a connect group. Now, you're not going to bear fruit if you're not a fruit tree. You're not going to bear fruit if you're not saved. You're not going to bear fruit if you haven't given your life to Christ. You're not going to bear fruit if you haven't surrendered to him. And so I want to encourage us, whoever is here and, and, and is not connected not connected to the vine, to, to let today be the day that you do that. Let today be the day that you say, I believe, I believe that I'm a sinner and I believe that that sin is getting paid for and I believe that Jesus' death on the cross took care of it, my penalty, but he took the hit for me and I believe that he walks out of a grave alive and I surrender my life to him. Let today be the day that you do that. Y'all pray with me. Lord, we do love you today. And Lord, we are so thankful that you are a masterful encourager and that your timing is always 1 million percent perfect. Lord, that you reach down and encourage us when we are in the pit of despair. Lord, when we finally hit that point and we just surrender all that we are to you, you encourage us. And you encourage us in many different ways. Lord, you bring people into our lives that you have ordained to be there and they encourage us Lord you give us a little glimpse of some fruit and it may be fruit of of somebody who is led to you it may be some fruit of somebody whose growth just went crazy astronomical and they started growing spiritually and we got to see that it's very encouraging Lord we thank you for that But Lord, today as we stand here, anybody in this room that has not given their lives to you, I'd love for for y'all to pray this alongside of me. Lord, today's the day where I believe it all. Lord, today's the day that I cry out to be saved. Today's the day where I believe you took care of my penalty and walked out of a grave alive to seal that deal. Lord, save me. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, y'all, our, we got a little prayer table over here. If anybody needs prayer, wants prayer, wants to share something, uh, we'll have somebody on our prayer team that'll be there. The cross is open and available as it is 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, if anybody needs to pray, please come down here or over there, um, or you can stay right in your seat and pray.